Welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. Hello and welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. And Russell, Fringe Fest is over. Yes, it is. And there's kind of a sigh of relief on our part. You know, it's bittersweet because it's been exhausting, but now we have no shows to see, really. Yeah, it, it's been a wonderful month. It's been a month filled with so many different types of shows, and and you're right, I am uh, I am exhausted, that's for sure. And it's funny because I got a couple of comments made to me, Mike, after our last podcast. Uh, apparently people started to realize that we both sounded exhausted on the last podcast. <laughs> a couple of people reached out to me and said, why do you guys sound exhausted? It was like, because we've been doing Fringe Festival every night. Yeah. But it was rewarding. It was worth it, for sure. Um, but I don't know how you were able to do this because you were a crazy man like this past week. <laughs> For this last week of Fringe, you did so many shows. Yeah, I definitely fit in a lot into my schedule, that's for sure. All right, so take it away. Uh, well, I mean, let's let's talk about something which uh, is a huge hit of the Fringe. It was one of the first shows to sell out all of their tickets at the Fringe, the immersive piece Red Flags from Capital W. Now, Mike, we had mentioned this on the podcast before, but you really didn't go into your experience because I hadn't done it yet. Right. Um, wow. Um, now they're extending this apparently, so we can't talk too much about spoilers, but overall, I, I must say this was a really fascinating, one of the most, uh, I, I, I want to say intense because it is intense, but not haunt intense, not, <laughs> uh, just uh, help me out, man. <laughs> <laughs> you're on, you're on your own with this one. <laughs> um red flags is to show where you um beforehand get uh, a couple of email exchanges and a couple of text exchanges from someone who you apparently met online. Her name is Emma. She sounds like a very nice girl. Um a little high strung maybe. Her texts did have that vibe to them. <laughs> but uh very very sweet sounding and you meet and the show Red Flags is you go on your first date. Yeah. And it's immersive. It's interactive. You are the co-star of the show, in case you didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, now looking back, like, uh, what did you think overall of this experience? Uh, you know, I said this last time, but whenever something makes me not remember it's real, like it's just a show, like that it works. And I think I also said this, but this reminded me of other first dates I've been on. It was so natural for me. Nothing was forced. It all came so naturally. You know, the conversations between us, whatever questions she would ask me and I would ask her. And I don't know. It was just, it was, it was an experience, man. I agree completely. And we have to give, you know, a tribute to Lauren Flans, I believe is how you would pronounce her name, is the actress who portrays Emma. No. No, no, it's Emma. There's Emma? no, there's, it's not an actress. It's real, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, sorry. <laughs> I, I forget you have issues with reality and fiction. Um, yeah, it's she. You go on this first date, and it is extremely intense and extremely interactive. Awkward at times, uh, and obviously the name of the show, Mike, is Red Flags. So I think that's an indicator that you're going to learn some possibly disturbing or at least 
bothersome, unsettling stuff during the course of your date. And it's funny because on the podcast, when you talked about it very briefly, you mentioned that you were curious as to how it would affect me. Mm -hmm. Now I know why. (laughs) What do you think I tried to do? Tried to save her. Yes, I did. I tried to fix it. Mm -hmm. Am I really that much an open book to you? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how how can you not be? Like when we talk about all these experiences for how many hours now? Yeah. And I mean... Dude, you're right. I, I like. I, I, I did you try to do that? Did you like? No. <laughs> yeah, I found myself shifting from being present on the date to. I mean, and you know, Emma has a lot of problems. She has a lot going on in her life. Um, she's facing lots of changes. I, I don't want to say more because the show is going to continue, and I don't want to say more. But she's facing a lot of changes in her life. And she starts to unravel them for you. And like, this connects to this, this connects to that, this is what I'm dealing with. And I really did went into save it mode or fix it mode. And it brought out that aspect of me, which sometimes, you know, has come out in haunts, depending on the show, and it has come out in ARGs with me. And it it's it's a trigger for me, man. You know, but the fact that, and the, the, this is a roundabout way of saying, you said it made you believe that it was your actual first date. Mm-hmm. I walked away with the same thing. Yeah, it just and it, it was so unsettling. the The ending of the date, the final things that she said to me were just so unsettling. Even though, no, I I probably would not have chosen to ever go on a second date, but. Yeah, <laughs> I like her walking away. I I wanted to call out to her at the end. I wanted to like try to like add one more positive thought to the mix, and and I was just like I said, no, like Russell, don't <laughs> like, <laughs> like you can't you can't fix everything. Uh, I think we're we're obviously stating the same thing here between you and me. It is a completely immersive experience, completely worth the time. Uh, very very interesting. Uh, experiment on your emotions. I I really liked it. And they haven't announced the dates yet, I don't think. But when they do, we'll make sure to let you know and put them on the calendar. And also, if there's any ladies out there who seem to have issues like Emma, you can reach Russell at russell at myhauntlife.com. Oh, you bastard. (laughs) He will try to fix you. Oh, man. <laughs> With two S's and two L's. Stop, stop. Just, just stop. I offer safety. That's apparently what I offer. <laughs> uh, okay, so, uh, wait, that was really a personal moment. Um, all right, so, um, uh, wait, what was next, Mike? <laughs> uh, you did Rhapsody, which is something I had told you about. Yes, and I am so glad you highly recommended this to me. Rhapsody was just a joy, man. Rhapsody is another magic show. Yes, Performed by Jonathan Skye. The title Rhapsody is obviously a musical reference. And this whole show uh, is a magic show built around and intertwined with musical selections. Uh, Specifically, mainly jazz. It has a New Orleans-influenced vibe to it. Uh, Jonathan Skye is a talented trumpet player himself, which comes up during the show. And Mike, you had made mention of one routine in particular of it just being one of the cutest things you'd seen at Fringe. Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> right. It's like the entire, I, it, it's wonderful to hear an entire audience kind of go, 
Aww. And my audience did that in unison. It was just, as soon as that routine began, he, he, he had the audience in the palm of his hand. Well, he already had us there, but uh, this was really good quality. I want to see, I always hate the word traditional. This is not stuff you've seen before. This is variations on stuff you've seen before. Uh, he does a tube and bottle routine in a way that I am not familiar with. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, like that's really interesting. Um, he does some traditional stuff like um, uh, Professor's Nightmare, you know, which you've seen before, which is the the standard kind of like the beginning rope manipulation stuff. Except what he does is he does it in this wonderful, enchanting way where he involves, you know, a young woman from the audience as being the cause of all of the effects. So this guy is all about interaction with the audience and just the casual charm of, Hey, want to see some cool stuff? Yeah, exactly. And it's all cool stuff. And the storytelling that he does with the music in the background, like this is so well done and uh, just thoroughly enjoyed this. And I want to see more from this guy. And again, like we've, we've mentioned this, but I, I, I want to say this fringe needs a magic category. Yeah, You said this a couple podcasts ago, and this show absolutely proves it because this show is more listed under cabaret and variety, I think because of the heavy musical aspect to it. But this, like, they need a magic category. Yeah, and we spoke about this show in particular because... You know, when I went, there there wasn't a large crowd. And when you went, it was kind of similar. And actually, well, yeah, I, think I think Sean said was, that too, right? I think Sean did say that. Um, when I saw it, it was more than half full. Okay, that's so, good. Yeah, he had he had, a, he had an okay crowd when but, I saw it. But in the earlier shows, because it doesn't say magic in the title, because it doesn't, it's not in a magic category, I think a lot of people skipped over it. Because it, it, the name is Rhapsody. Yeah. You know, yeah, if, so if, too. if they added magic to the title or like a magical evening with Jonathan Skye or, you know, there's so many, there's a couple of different ways like that probably would have had more eyes on it. True. As a magic show. But the fact that Fringe doesn't have a magic category specifically to point people to shows oh, like yeah. this. Like that, that's, I think that's a mistake because obviously they, they um, added the immersive category this year mm-hmm. and it got a positive response. It got a big response. You and I have been talking about magic at the fringe for several years now. Yeah. So they need a magic category. It's, it's, it's one of the next steps for the fringe festival guide. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. This was such an enjoyable show for me. And then didn't I fit in another show? Yep. Before you revved up again for yeah. your Fringe Week. <laughs> um, I managed to get a ticket to something that sold out really, really fast, uh, Slashed the Musical. I'm so bummed I missed this. This was the one show like I really wanted to see, but it sold out before I got a ticket. Yeah, um, this was directed by Chelsea Stardust with books, music, and lyrics by Sean Keller. Um, this is a, it's a fairly short show. It's about 45 minutes long. It is a loving emphasis on the love part. Uh, It's a tribute to 80s slasher pictures. And if you're a horror nerd, as I think you and I probably fall into that category, Mike, there are some really funny, funny references. Uh, It's a parody of the 80s. So it takes place kind of in the 80s, but they wink at the current state of affairs in this country and social climate. Um, they make reference to a couple of characters from 80s movies, and then they kind of poke fun at how, well, you know, today this would never happen. You know? Yeah. So, and I, and I don't, I, I so want to point to one thing in particular, but all of the horror nerds in, in the audience when I saw it, 
uh, they mention the name of a character from a 1980s slasher movie. And as soon as they mentioned that woman's name, the whole audience just did this like knowing chuckle because it was such an, like you, you have to know your horror slashers to know that particular name. And then they made a joke about how politi- politically correctness wise, that villain would probably not exist the way it did in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. So and I'm, I'm deliberately, cause I don't want to reveal it to you. Of course. Um, so, but yeah, the, the songs are point on. They're just absolutely perfect. The cast is really game. They're having a good time. There's some nice twists. Um, the They have a female virgin character and a male virgin character. Both of those performers have a lot of fun with their roles. They have the kick-ass gal who was final girl at another camp. And now she's come to be the final girl at this camp. Oh, wow. Camp doomed, by the way. <laughs> so uh, so it, it takes just just poking, loving fun at all of the cliches. And the songs are upbeat and catchy. And there is one particular phrase or two that you, know, you walk out of the theater humming because they keep repeating it. Like, this is a lot of fun. And, you know, I spoke very briefly with the director, Chelsea, afterwards. And I stated, like, I, I want to see you guys come back. I want to see you guys extend. Uh, they haven't announced a fringe extension, but I believe they are trying to figure out a way of getting this show to go on. And, you know, we, you know, we've referred to Alien versus Musical on this on this podcast a couple of times. I hope this becomes the next Alien versus Musical. I hope this finds itself back next year at Fringe in a bigger, better version. You know, uh, I would love to see them have more props and more flying body parts and everything else that goes on. And I also would like to say this thing is cleverly directed with um, the use of shadows to convey some of the deaths, etc. Like this, this was a lot of fun definitely upbeat fun and and i want to see this again well i think you can because there's an announcement that was made that they will be performing this at midsummer scream yes which you absolutely must see this mike don't tell me what to do i'm telling you what to do mike i'm gonna live my life my own way (laughs) okay all right but you will regret it if you don't see it because everyone will be talking about it at midsummer scream uh definitely slashed was uh, was such a highlight for me it was really really fun Cool. And then after that, I finally got to see a show yes. that week. <laughs> um, and we met up and saw another magic show called Illusion of Choice, A Magical Experience with Cardini or Cardeni. I, I don't think know. it's Cardeni. Okay. Cardeni. <laughs> okay. Sure. We'll go with that one. And this one was really fun because if you go to enough magic shows, you you know how certain tricks will turn out you know that no matter what your word is going to be chosen. And even if you go in knowing that it doesn't matter because you get subconsciously manipulated to end up choosing that word. And this was a great show to prove that. The interesting thing for me about the show, Mike is the title illusion of choice. Mm -hmm. And he does a lot of almost philosophical ramblings in his banter about how we choose to do what we do, how we become who we are based on the choices that we make in life. So that became an uneven mix for me at this show because I felt like at times he actually wasn't performing magic. He was just showing us that our choices have ramifications. And the the theme of colors runs through this show of choose, choose between these two colors. You actually participate in something that involved 
color. So mm-hmm. we all did by the end of the show. But that necessarily wasn't tricks. It was just, oh, well, if you choose this side, you get this as an outcome. If you get that side, you get that as an outcome. That's actually not a magic trick. But I found it really interesting to have the conversation. What he was saying was really entertaining and really interesting. But I felt that there could have been more magic in the show than there was. See, I disagree because those questions, I feel like he, those were tricks. Like the woman that chose the envelope, you know, like because everything that someone chose was good and mm-hmm. that that wasn't random, like at least to me, like a, a show can't happen if it's just random stuff. No, I, I see your point, but I just felt that that I didn't ever feel. No, I, it's not that I never felt it. There, there were several times in the show where I thought I was going to get a bigger reveal at the end. Like, oh, no, this is just a conversation about choice. Not saying that it wasn't entertaining, because I was certainly entertained. I I will say that this is also a good example of a show that would benefit from a different sort of staging than Fringe can offer. Because there are interludes in the show where you have sort of a dancing character, a magical character who comes in and out. The bunny. Yeah, the uh, like a woman in a very surreal bunny mask, you know, representing the traditional magician's assistant, the rabbit. And... She comes in and manipulates props and and almost freezes time in a manner. I think if on a different stage with better lighting, which the fringe can't necessarily offer because you have 15 minutes to load in your show and perform and then 15 minutes to load out. I think that would come across as more cohesive than it did in this venue. That is not a fault of the show. It is not a fault of the performer. But I was aware of it, that I didn't think those two things blended very well. But because of the staging in the venue, not because they couldn't blend well. Um, so that that took me out a little bit. But no, I, I do see your point. But for me, this was a really uneven mix. Hmm. So I, I, I wanted more magic than was there. But I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation about the choices that were being made to do the demonstrations that were presented to us. That's really interesting because I took all that conversation because he was subconsciously like planting things, which is why people chose certain colors or certain things. And then, you know, but that, I don't know. I liked it. Yeah. I think you liked it more than I did. I, and I did, like I said, I think this is one of the best, most appropriate titles of any show. I saw at fringe illusion of choice because he just, How do we fool ourselves? How do we not make important decisions in life? All of that stuff is discussed. And And how easy it is to be manipulated. Yes, absolutely. That's part of it. So I I found it utterly fascinating. I just was, it just didn't quite work as well, I think, for me than it, as it did for you. So, but I will say this, Cardeni, completely charming performer. And the bunny was awesome. Oh yeah. She's like, she won everyone over, I think. But it was just, it was an uneven mix for me. Hmm. Okay. Uh, So after that, I went to a show and then based on my reaction, you saw like the next day or something. Yeah, I was curious, but I wasn't sure I could fit it in. And after your reaction, like I I definitely bought a ticket. So a Harmony Boys Christmas. Oh, my God. So good. Yeah, this was this was enchanting. When we did our first. Enchanting? (laughs) Yeah. Really? Yes. There's a a thing about guides to date rape, and you're talking about it being enchanted? (laughs) In its own special way. Okay. (laughs) When we first did our original picks, uh, this was one that I kind of added to the list and saying that this was really interesting. 
I find it funny that you managed to get to this first and and had such a positive reaction because I knew you were interested in it. It is a parody of the traditional, I would say anywhere from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, every year you used to get a slew of Christmas specials on television. And like Bing Crosby did one for years. Bob Hope did one for years. Um, those Christmas specials are parodied as a live benefit concert for <laughs> for an organization called Force Feed the World. <laughs> Which promises to give food and what, what was something along the lines of uh, take food and our Christian values and shove them shove down the throats throat. of everyone in the world. <laughs> it is a very, uh, it's set in 1962. So they transport you back to 1962 into a traditional. And they make you remember that. Oh, yes. It's a singing group that supposedly has been successful, had some rocky road stretches in their career but they've come together and they are contractually obligated to continue doing this charity event every year for christmas and the choreography for this is hysterically funny the songs are clever and catchy and fun they nail the pitch of those tv shows perfectly yeah and because you're in the 60s they push buttons that you couldn't push today Mm -hmm. uh, because those issues didn't exist. I mean, they existed, but they weren't, you know, brought to the forefront. So what was so funny about this show was they were stereotypical 50s and 60s attitude. And it's going to sound weird, but it's funny because even though back then it was an issue, it was made light of. So there's issues like having the stay-at-home hot wife and like, where's dinner? That kind of thing. Or <laughs> or how it's against God's values to be a homosexual. The assumption that being homosexual means that you're, an, uh, you're other types of criminal at the same time, which is a ridiculous assumption. Right. And, you know, I mentioned the date rape earlier, and there's a, a point where there's a guide to date rape. And it's just by hearing me say this, I know it sounds, it sounds bad, horrible, <laughs> but it's done so funny. Like, yeah, it's in the context of sort of like a time capsule being opened and you realize how incredibly far we've come and how backwards certain beliefs were. But at the same time, completely highlighting what hasn't changed mm -hmm. enough in our society. Yeah. Yeah, this was clever. This was fun. Again, I got to mention the choreography. <laughs> yeah, inadvertently sexual moves, which at the time were completely innocent, I'm sure. But like the way they're staged, you, you look back at it and you're like, wow, that was a really inappropriate gesture or something. It was really fun, really fun. And again, huge, really talented cast, man. Oh, yeah. The live band, everyone, everyone on stage, uh, the, the use of children in this show <laughs> is hysterical. Because they do highlight the, um, you know, children are the future and they are God's little gifts and treasures. And yet um, <laughs> there's some uncomfortable moments involving the children and what they actually represent to the people who bore them. Wow. It's like it's it's hard to describe this show. <laughs> yeah. But the good thing is, is this is a show that could happen during Christmas and it would be perfect. I and want this to come back this Christmas. I hope it does because this is a perfect tradition. Oh, like hell if, yeah. if they could do this every year and it would be fantastic. You know, it's funny. Um, you uh, you've pointed me toward a show that happens down in Fullerton every year around Halloween. There's a play that happens every year. And um, 
this could be the same thing. I could mm-hmm. see them mounting this every single holiday season. Yeah. And I think it would draw a crowd. Before we met, there was a there was something, I think it only happened like two or three years, but it was like the zombie Christmas special. And it happened at Asylum or Sacred Fools. Wow. I didn't and, know this. Yeah. And that one was amazing. Like I went every year for that. Oh, cool. But something like that and something like Harmony Boys, they work so well. Mm-hmm. And it's especially if you're doing it in December, you already have that Christmas spirit. So I think it might have more of an impact than it did seeing it in June when it's 90 degrees. <laughs> Instead, yes. you can see it in December when it's 90 degrees. And by the way, it was a lovely Christmas tree that they had. Yeah, it was. I was impressed for a 15 minute load in. Yeah, yeah. How decorated Huge it was. stage. So, yeah. Um, cool. Uh, I really enjoyed this a lot. Really glad we got to see it. That same night, uh, Mike, I think you know that I managed to see a play called Bloody Awful. Yes, which is another one I told you about. This show is actually two one-act plays. Uh, it's called Bloody Awful, Two Twisted Comedies by Leland Frankel. I I had the same reaction you did, Mike. There are two plays both involving um, situations that get a little out of control. And I want to share with you a bit of a story. And this is one of those wonderful things about live theater. The first show, uh, which is called The Callback, features an actress who sort of goes off the deep end when she relearns that she will not get a callback for a role which she auditioned for that she truly, truly wants. So she takes it upon herself to get revenge. Or maybe not revenge. She takes it upon herself to meet and abduct the director of the show, to convince him to give her a callback. So it's the back and forth of these two people who are, they're both professionals, even if one of them is slightly unhinged. Um, They both state their cases. Unfortunately, uh, she has hurt and tied the guy to a chair. So he's a little bit of a, of a bad position. Here's the thing that happened at my performance, Mike. Uh, This guy was restrained to a chair. I mean, that's not a huge spoiler. He's that way. As soon as the show begins, During the show that I was at, the chair completely disintegrated and fell apart. Oh, no. Yeah, the whole back of the chair came off. It's one of those chairs that has dowels across the back. And so as he's struggling, the whole back started to like curl backwards. And some of the dolls stayed in place. Some of them didn't. And by the end of the play, there's literally just the legs and the seat of the chair left. And the actor had to deal with that chair falling apart throughout the course of the show. And he did it so well. <laughs> it oh, was that's so, so fun. It was just one of those live theater moments that went, okay, like this is this is something that's happening and I'm sure this is not intentional. This is three weeks of abuse on this chair. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it was. The chair finally gave up. <laughs> And uh, and I and kudos to the cast for dealing with that because it was uh, it was happening throughout the course of the show and they really did they incorporated it and they worked with it well uh, they basically just ignored the fact that it was happening and just like as the chair kept disintegrating they just kept maneuvering around it so um, but that was that was just a humorous thing that happened in my show uh, it was really enjoyable and again as you highlighted I think the performances make this the um, it just it's the same thing with the second show which is called slaughterhouse uh the sitcom antics of a guy who moves in with three serial killers and his girlfriend shows up like just the it's such ripe comic territory and i think the whole cast was game the whole cast was having a good time it there was sort of a wink wink vibe to the audience a little bit but i never felt it got over the top which it very easily could have, especially in that first one, the callback. 
they could have gone for crazy and I think it would have been less effective. Right. The fact that she was just extremely passionate and crazy came from passion work makes that work so well. And the second one, I just was just rolling with laughter. I just loved that whole concept. I knew you would. Yeah, it it was so, so much fun. So I will say, I, I have a question that I don't, again, since we don't like spoilers, did you see the ending of Slaughterhouse coming? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't just me. Yeah. So there was a, there was a, actually of all things, the thing that tipped me off is there was a costuming choice made. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Why does that character have that in their costume? And then when you revealed why that character has it, I was like, oh yeah, okay, that's, that's why. Because I, I kind of did see the ending coming, did not detract in any way from the show. Because I, when I figured out what was going to happen, I just kept waiting like, when are they going to reveal it? When are, when are they going to like throw the ace down? You know, <laughs> it was like, so yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm glad you recommended it because it was not something I was planning on seeing until you recommended it. And I, I had a bloody awful. I had a really fun time. Did you have a bloody good time? I had a bloody good time. Yes, I did. <laughs> and speaking of me recommending things. Yes. Comic-Con the musical. Yes. Wow. This was just, yeah, you really felt the love in the room. Yeah. Yeah, the, this uh, to me, Comic Con the musical is one of the highlights of this year's Fringe Festival. It just there's so much love for. It's funny. It's like not nerds. That's not what it's about. Right. It's it's the show is about finding who you are. And you mentioned that there's a song at the end of this uh, musical and on the on the podcast when you spoke about it that that says like find your superpower, find who you are, find what makes you you, and embrace it. And the fact that this whole musical is about the guy who doesn't know who he is and his friends, new friends, help him figure out who he is. And the, and the, the woman who is coming into her own realizing that if her, if her dreams are ever to come true, she can't live somebody else's. You know, and the guy who literally doesn't know where he fits in, but he knows he's creative and he knows he has stories to tell, but he can't figure out the format. Like all of those are things that we can relate to in some manner. And like Mike, I just like this this was so much love. And one of the highlights for me was how many songs the entire cast sang. Oh yeah. And like what did like what were your thoughts on like the music? I really enjoyed them. There were a couple of really, really strong songs. Um yeah, the ending song, like you say, you had mentioned about the superpower, there were there's a couple of times, there's one in particular about the woman who's denying her dream. You know, she's a supporting character in the show, but she really drives home the cost of giving up everything for other people mm-hmm. and not allowing yourself the time to dream. Like, I, that was a particular moment that that I think most people wouldn't point to this show and say, that's an important moment. I think it is an important moment. Because everybody else is out there dressing in costume and this one character isn't there and she regrets it. And uh, I, I, I found that that song in particular, I thought, quite, quite lovely. And um, all of the stuff about the cast coming together, you're right. It's just like it, which, which I think is a weird, God, I hate to say symbolic, but it, it that's what the Comic-Con crowd is about, is coming together and celebrating who you are, even if you don't get along with everybody and you think that, you know, that universe is stupid, my universe is cool, They're still you're still part of the same universe. <laughs> well, I mean, Marvel versus DC, 
you can't have Batman fighting <laughs> Spider-Man. Unless Someday. There, unless there's an exclusive crossover. So let let the lawyers get involved in that, and in about 15 years, they'll have it. So, uh, no, it just, I, I really enjoyed this. I'm really, really glad I fit it in. I was like, this was, this was just, yeah, this was enchanting. This was charming. I want this to come back in a bigger, bolder, better version. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that I will say, and it's a, it's a minor little quibble with this show, I wish... There is this. The show covers everything. It covers the genres that people love, from superheroes to horror. The one thing is they introduce an alien character, which is not a spoiler. It, it comes up very quickly in the show. I wish that character had been a little bit better defined. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I say that is I think the final moments of the show would be a little bit stronger if that character were a little bit stronger in the first act of the show. Right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because she she sort of comes forward and and she plays a pivotal role in the ending, but I didn't feel that she was defined enough to quite get to the ending of the show. Got it. It's a minor little quibble, and um, yeah, I just I I really really enjoyed the show a lot, and I really sincerely hope this comes back either to future fringe festivals or other fringe festivals. I hope they find a venue here in town to run and experiment. And this, this needs a bigger venue than fringe. Agreed. Agreed. A hundred percent. You know, especially I mentioned this last time, but like, this is kind of like their first vision. It's not the full vision. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if they can get to that next level, it's going to be even more incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this show has tons of potential. And I think the appeal of this show is pretty universal. Oh, of course. Yeah. It's like this This is a lot of fun. I think nowadays a lot of people aren't scared to stay in the shadows with the things they like. And they come out and they don't care. It's like, you know what? I like this. I don't care if you think it's nerdy or whatever. Yeah. I think nerdy is something that, that years ago had a much more negative connotation. And it's just, I, I hate to, I hate to even just keep saying the word nerd about this musical because it's much, it's, it's bigger than that. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I only said what I just said to do a segue into your next show. Oh, okay. <laughs> so speaking of shadows. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I went and saw something which I don't think you ever got a chance to see. That's in the Valley of the Shadow. This left me speechless. Wow. In the Valley of the Shadow, uh, written by Catherine Cortez, directed by Elena DeSantos, uh, it was presented by Rogue Machine Theater, which is a company that I definitely want to see more work from. This takes the Pulse nightclub shooting in Florida as sort of a jumping off point uh, to examine bigotry, hate, prejudice, judgment. It it takes a look at a community that is torn apart. And, you know, it's a little over an hour long and... The structure of the show is a nightclub shooting has taken place, which unfortunately is now in this country a relatable scenario rather than a fantastic scenario that you could never imagine yourself in. And it's the victims of this gathering at the police station and waiting to be pulled out for questioning. So people come in and go out and people come in with pieces of information and leave with, you know, just shreds of what they want to know. Um, The whole show packs a huge emotional hit. The strength of the show is the ensemble cast. 
everyone in this show is extremely strong and even as the show sort of prevents it's not that they're stereotypes but it is there are the characters are types that you're familiar with through you know other forms of entertainment you've you've seen people like this before but each one of the actors brings an edge to them that is new and refreshing the best friend who looks out for everyone the sort of earth mother type who makes sure everyone is going to be okay the sassy best friend who wears their uh difference on their sleeve and is out and proud the confused young man who can't relate to his own family so therefore he doesn't know how to relate to his new family as in a community that he's trying to find himself in i know i'm speaking generalities but all of that is so well drawn here and there's a conversation in the middle of this show, Mike, between a mother and a son. And there's a moment in that where the son turns to his mother and says, what are you so afraid of? And for me, that moment was just chilling because that is the issue, I think, that gets lost in every time that there's a shooting in this country, every time that there's some sort of spree mass murder there is a fear factor. There is a there is a question of what did the person fear? In my opinion, this is how I interpret this. So in this play, the conversation that takes place between the mother and son is devastating and horrifying and touching and sad because it is two generations actually having that conversation. And you see why the one generation doesn't understand the other generation from both directions. And just that 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 simple question of what are you so afraid of, I think hovers over the entire show. And this is really strong ensemble work. This is a piece that I, again, I've said this about several shows. You've said this about several shows that you've seen. Like this is a piece that is moving. It's in, it's educational. It's, this can be transformative theater. This can be theater that will change lives if it's seen by enough people. I hope it gets seen more than just this Fringe Festival. I hope this piece goes on for a very long time. This devastated me. Yeah, I remember you, I think I saw you or you like called me or something after you had seen it. And that those yeah, were like... Yeah, I texted you because I think you were, you were, this theater, this particular Fringe venue was one of the farthest ones out. And I think I texted you on the way back toward the other Fringe Festival venues. Yeah. That just like, yeah, this was devastating. And again... You know, the entire cast here is, you know, just to be credited for the humanity that they put into this scenario, because every single character, even the smaller supporting roles, have moments of transformation or humanity that just rings so valuable and true to the piece itself. This is, you know, this is why I go to live theater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's this is it. That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> I'm slightly depressed now. But it's a very uplifting show about a very depressing scary topic. So, uh more power to these guys and um I I also want to say something about the production itself. Um the lighting and the sound design mic for this because they this is one of those things that's kind of hard to describe. They indicate time 
and location by very subtle shifts in lighting and sound. So when they start talking about or flashbacking to uh, the night in the club or a conversation that happened not in the night, that night in the club when the shooting took place or previously in the relationship of the characters, quite often you'll hear the club sounds in the background or the thumping music in the background. The, they will actually do the club lighting even though the characters aren't necessarily in the club. It was like, it was a really interesting mix of technique, all completely in service to the message of the show that this was the ho- This was the home of a community that got destroyed and violated. And everything in this production is completely cohesive and well done and paints that world. By the end, you realize what was lost. And let me tell you, Mike, the last three minutes of this show is horrifying. Not because they, they, they don't, I don't want to spoil anything, but they don't, it's not that they recreate a crime or anything. You see the emotional devastation and you see the break between the generations, you know, that I mentioned earlier, of what are you so afraid of? And each generation can ask that of the other generation. You see, there is a physical moment, the final tableau that they create, the final vision is so damn powerful wow yeah it was just i i had tears in my eyes at the end of this show and right now yeah well i'm choked up <laughs> <laughs> but that shows the power i of loved the this show. show i loved this show mike damn get me out of here <laughs> um so then i saw a show that you had previously seen called dr faustus and i'm really curious to know what you thought of this okay um And this is another one of those shows where I don't know the story. Like, I've never read it. I've never, like... Really? Yeah. I can't read, remember? (laughs) Shh. I thought we were hiding that. Um, Yeah, but you have seen versions of it. It's It's like Dorian Gray. It's like, even if you've never read Dorian Gray, you've seen variations on that theme. Okay. You do know what Dorian... No, I only know that name because there's a J-Rock group called Deering Gray that they got their name because of Dorian Gray. Dor- Dorian Gray is the guy who sells, he makes a deal, that, so a portrait ages, but he never does. Okay. So that's Dorian Gray. And so Dr. Faustus is... Um, I've never heard of that story before. Oh my God, what am I going to do with you? So- <laughs> I'm too, I was too busy collecting records to, <laughs> to then going and reading. See, this is the perfect moment. This is our friendship, is you always expose me to movies and music that I'm not familiar with that I somehow <laughs> missed, and I bring up stories that you have somehow and missed along the way. And fine literature. Yes. <laughs> so, um, but uh, Dr. Faustus is basically the story of a man who, who sells his soul to the devil. Yes, I got that. Yeah. Thanks. Um, (laughs) but the the story it's done with a bunch of punks so that was really cool for me Mm -hmm. because you know you see like yeah and i guess here's a question like so how how old is this story like is it hundreds of years old or is Uh, it like wow i believe so yes okay It's, it's it's old so picture like something hundreds of years old you know being done by punks you know and it was just like it had that that attitude and that like kind of like grime that comes with it. And, you know, for someone like me who doesn't know the story and is into punk, like it was awesome. Like it was, and you're dealing with a devil and selling your soul. Like that (laughs) checks off everything off the list. Yeah. And I, I, I think I saw their very first performance at fringe. So it was a little rough around the edges. Mm -hmm. 
First of all, this cast, you have the two main characters, Faustus and Mephistopheles, and they are unto themselves, but almost everyone else in the cast takes on multiple roles. Yes. The energy which they expend, <laughs> the energy and the different characters that they take on, many of them comic, many of them very energetic and boisterous. I, I loved watching this cast play. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. And so. and just a, a quick side note. Did you know that there was a 90s ska band called Mephiscopheles? No, I did not. And they were a satanic ska band? No, I did not. Mephiscopheles? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So... <laughs> I love it when you pull stuff like that out. <laughs> That's what she one. said. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Right here. That's me patting myself on the back. Nicely done. Anyway, you, you were saying? Anyway, so Dr. Faustus was... I, I really enjoyed it. And and that's a beauty of Fringe is you can go and see shows of of classic stories that you don't know. And... You know, they they're turning people on to new works like in classic works that, you know. Yeah, I thought this was a good end to this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's the language is dense in this one. Yeah. <laughs> so but it, it makes it that much more entertaining when you see it by like by people wearing like leather jackets and, and yeah, stuff. The costume choices and lots of costume changes fast and furious along the way. It's like, yeah, this 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 was a fun production of this. Mm hmm. And like I said, I think I saw a little bit of a rough night because I saw the very first performance. I wasn't sure about it when I left, but I kept thinking about some of what I saw and really reflecting positively on it. So I, I think it just took me a little while to warm up to it afterwards, but I really did enjoy this show. Good. Have you seen other versions of this? Um, actually, no, I have not. This, okay. is, this is a show which I have not seen before. Like live on stage. I have seen there's a there's a film version of this somewhere, and I want to say I saw it back in college film classes, but I'm drawing a blank as to what it was or or who it was. But yeah, the story has been around a while. And so here's something fun because it was my mistake when I originally made my schedule. <laughs> this show I think was was put on as thirty or thirty five minutes. It's not 30 to 35 minutes and it, the, that time did get updated on the site, but I never went back to check. So I had scheduled a show that, that we eventually met up at at mm -hmm. 1130 and I thought I was going to be done by 1030, which would give me plenty of time to get from Stephanie Fury Studios to McCadden, Place. which is like yeah. kind of like almost this, probably the second farthest <laughs> split apart. Yes. And... So I get out at 11, little after 11. I had to be at McCadden by 11.30. And I'm very proud to say that even though I feel like I am not in shape, I made it there in 10 minutes because I ran. I was very impressed that you made it. <laughs> I mean, I think it's only like maybe like two miles, mm -hmm. if that. But man, like when I showed up, I was like... <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you were able to walk, which is more than I probably would have been able yeah, to do. My legs were jello, though. I need to start doing stuff. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I was really worried when you when you texted me and said, um, I thought the other show was much shorter. I don't know if I can make it. Yeah. Uh, and then it, and then all the, like, the Ubers were giving me times like after yeah, cause it you started. Were, you were making that transition right at one of the busiest times on a weekend. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, very impressive. Nicely yeah. done, sir. 
So, and the show we met up was called Monster Beautiful, the musical, an interactive horror show. Right. And this was one that was supposed to be at last year's Fringe that we had put on our picks, but it just, it never happened. What did you think? It was cool. Um, There's definitely in like a lot of influences from classic horror movies, uh, specifically Reanimator and Frankenhooker. Um, even Dead Girl at parts for me, like that's what I saw. Um, I think the major influence is Frankenhooker because he wants to build the perfect girl. Mm-hmm. You're right. the The influences are pretty obvious. I think Frankenhooker and and the Frankenstein mythology is really heavy. Except I think this particular show doesn't jumble the various influences very well. And what I mean by that is, well, let me ask you the question, Mike, whose story is this? Right. Is it the doctors or the girls or the band? Well, according to the description, I went in thinking it was going to be the doctor's story. Mm-hmm. Because they, they talk about this doctor who's doing some clandestine work and, and he's trying to build the perfect girl. Except the show starts with him committing a crime and then we never see him dealing with his work or what he's supposedly doing in the dark shadows of his basement hidden away from the world except for what one sequence in the middle of the movie yeah. in the pardon me in the middle of the musical yeah we see like that aftermath and the show shifts focus to the girl who is facing uh and by the way so we're talking about a professor and then we're talking about his protege uh and the young female is is a student and obviously an up-and-coming brilliant scientist and she's about to I, some sort of fellowship award that she was going to win, which would set her up on a very good career path. And she has to make this decision to go and she has to nail this presentation to solidify her future. Well, the show focuses to that decision and her position. So it takes the focus away from the professor and then it focuses to the professor criticizing her for being distracted by a boyfriend. Then the show shifts focus to the boyfriend for a, for a short period of time, but we get a sh- song from the boyfriend which solidifies his character, but doesn't really move the show forward. And then the girl shows up and she has made that lit major life decision off stage while we were witnessing the song from the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So she showed up and I said, wait a minute, if this is her story... I wanted to see her wrestle with that dilemma. Right. And then we switch back to the professor. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like, literally, I have no idea what this musical wants to be. Right. Yeah, this show, it felt kind of rushed. Like, oh, we let's put this in and this in and this in. Um, And with only having one show, it's got to be tough to figure out what you want it to be because... You know, with with a lot, most fringe shows, they they go over three weeks, and there's six or seven shows. So by like you know after the first few performances, you know what works, what doesn't. You make changes. With only one, that's your one shot. And... Yeah, they chose to to only perform this one time, which I think was an odd decision. Yeah. This yeah I I will say this I thought the voices universally were strong. Mm-hmm. I think the cast is fine. I just think the musical itself doesn't know what it wants to be. Right. Yeah, there are things that, you know, we we had spoken after we we got out of it and it was like the band probably didn't need to perform a song and that could have been used or maybe be in the background or something that could have been used where she made the decision. Right. You know, but, you know, like, go ahead, go. 
I was going to say they set the band up as if the band was going to, that the boyfriend was going to be the knight in shining armor character. He's not. Mm-hmm. Even though it's kind of scripted that he would be. Yeah. Because yeah, he, he just left her. Yeah, he just left her. <laughs> I was like, like, I, like so, and, and I remember, I don't think I turned to you, but I meant to turn to you at that point. Because he, he deserts supposedly the woman he loves and uh, sorry that's a spoiler i <laughs> but it, it, for the purpose of this conversation i want to go here because this musical really really doesn't know what it wants to be Th- when the boyfriend leaves it's like wait a minute why have we been spending time with this character at all mm-hmm. when we were actually denied the most pivotal decision any character makes in the entire musical to get a song from him yeah Am I crazy? Like, was... well, I mean, yes, but <laughs> not. But this makes sense. Yeah, I, was, I, I just, I walked out of this thing scratching my head, like not, not understanding almost anything that happened. Yeah, but with that being said, the songs were great. Yeah, like it was an original score, original, yeah. original songs. The cast were great. There's choreography moments with a bunch of people on stage, like being creepy and dancing that were really well done which uh, yes they were well done but here again i don't think the musical knows what it wants to be as a production because some of those moves were serious and some of them were campy Mm -hmm. in tone right and there were a couple of times when the audience was laughing i think unintentionally like are we supposed to be taking this seriously because there's these shadowy figures creeping around our main characters and there are other times when it's very obviously supposed to be kind of campy and humorous. Mm-hmm. I just thought the tone was really uneven with that. But yeah, strong singing voices throughout this cast. And the ending didn't quite ring true for me because it sounded, it, it's the final decision, what happens between the professor and his protege before she leaves. It seemed very rushed. Yeah. Because how did it get to that point? How is he making this happen? Like, Exactly. Yeah, I don't. And going back to one of the references you made, because I don't want to spoil everything in this show, but it makes me wonder if we're supposed to assume that. Oh, okay. You're referring to a mythology that is obviously Mm -hmm. present in the show, right? Like, is that an assumption that we're supposed to know? Yes, I think we're supposed to gather that we know how the professor is achieving what he's achieving. And see, like that's the thing. Like, I would want to. I want to see that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. There is potential here. But I think this thing needs some work. Yeah. Yeah. If this gets brought back, I'd, I would love to see it again, but I would want it to, I wouldn't want to know if there were changes made. Yeah. I, I would be interested in seeing this develop into something else. Because it has potential. Yes. Like absolutely. it has crazy potential. How many times have we talked on this show about, like, I mean, last year we saw a version of, you know, a musical version of Frankenstein mm-hmm. that we liked. Um, we've talked about Reanimator. You know, we've, you know, it's like Evil Dead the Musical. That's a successful thing that's that's happening. So, like, there is room for this genre. And this could be a worthy entry into that genre. Mm-hmm. But it's not there yet. Yeah. We wish them luck. Absolutely. And also, we stayed up late to see that, too. Yeah. That was <laughs> an 1130 night. start. <laughs> um, but the next night, Mike, uh, I went and did several other shows but I got to admit, I was envious of you because you were going back to see something that yes. I thoroughly enjoyed. And I get the impression you have a fondness for. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> um, I went back to see London Calling. And it was even better the second time around. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like I was able to pick up on things I didn't catch the first time. Um, and sorry, London Calling is uh, a story that is uses songs from the Clash to push the story forward, and it's about some like about a, a kid and a band, and he's an addict and he needs to get a job because his parents were on him. It's like that classic story of everything happening at once. And it takes influences from like train spotting and quadrophenia and stuff. And, and ah, it's just, it's just so good. And interestingly enough, one of the main actresses uh, had an emergency and she couldn't make it. So the girl that looks like Susie Sue played, Mm -hmm. filled her role. So she was the, the, the girlfriend. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so that was good. And, you know, I they said that at the beginning of the show because, you know, like sometimes she might have to have like have the script to read because it's only been like less than a day. Oh, wow. Um, but still for only, I think they said only like 18 hours, like she nailed it. There was only a couple times when she needed the script to help her out. Oh, wow. That's very cool. Also, one of those crazy things that happens when you go see live theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but it's like this show, man, it just makes me smile. Like there's we've we've talked about like all the shows at fringe that we we were laughing and like had so much fun at Mm -hmm. but they didn't make me happy if that makes sense well i think london calling gave you a different vibe you know i it's like because you know the dude just sitting with you waiting for us to see it the first time like you were (laughs) giddy (laughs) just being in the theater (laughs) So yeah, I do understand what you mean that that you know um yeah, as like I you know weirdly enough blamed I think gave me that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um to some degree Jack the Ripper's mistress gave yeah. me that feeling. So there have been fringe shows that you just walk away like, "Man, that's why I come to see shows at Fringe." You know, Comic-Con is one of those probably. Comic-Con is definitely one of those shows for me. Like it just, you know, it's it's weird to say that there's a difference between laughing and smiling and having a fun time and being making you happy because you feel like I feel like they should be interchangeable, but it's not. No, it's, it's hard more, to explain. It, sometimes it's about the afterglow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what what you leave the theater with. Um, but the good news is they are planning to keep it going. Oh, really? Yeah, not not at Fringe, but within L.A. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm so excited because I'm going to go see this. You're going to go see this again, aren't you? (laughs) Oh, hell yeah, I am. (laughs) Like, especially if they're at like another theater, because even though the sets will be the same, but just seeing it in a different environment will Mm -hmm. change everything. Mm -hmm. And when I was at Dr. Faustus, I met Andrew Leeson, who is the director of Body and Clyde. And we just, you know, talked a bit and he said he was going to London Calling the next day when I was going. Oh, wow. So when I got to London Calling, I walked in, I saw him. I was like, oh, hey, nice to meet you again. Nice or nice to see you again. Do you mind if I sit next to you? And I sat next to him and he's from England and grew up in the punk scene. So the whole like opening of the show, like before the show started, when people were still getting seats, we were talking about like all the bands that he's seen and all like this, like this stuff. Like he was at, he was at the filming of Quadrophenia in Brighton, like for the riot scene. Holy crap. And I was like telling me stories about how they just kept rioting after like, (laughs) because and it's like, if you don't want to, you go this way. And if you do want to, you go this way. And so they were just like, all right, let's go. And they just kept going. Oh, wow. Yeah, and the stories in the bands that he saw, like, a bands that, like, before they were anything, like, 
like the damned and, oh, and wow. like, oh, it was, it was awesome. Like talking to him. And, That's and then very cool. the cool thing was, is like, he was, I know how you, you just said like, oh, sitting in the theater with you the first time. Yeah. That was me for him because <laughs> he like, he would start singing and like bouncing like along when the songs were being played. Oh, it was so good. That's awesome. Yeah. Stuff like that adds to the experience. Oh yeah. Like, no, it'd be awesome though. If they added like a, like a midnight show or something where if you know the words you can sing too, instead of it having me just like a strictly like theatrical thing. Like no seriously, no. I, no I'm, I'm I'm smiling because I agree with you. Like, how much fun would that be? It'd be that almost be, be it'll almost be like karaoke, yeah, like group karaoke. Oh my god, can you imagine a theater singing "London Calling" together? <laughs> Holy crap, <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, I would go back for that. Absolutely, hell yeah. So while I was doing that, you were doing something that I had seen. Yes, I, again, <laughs> that's like the theme <laughs> of this podcast. Uh, I saw emergency operation. Yes. Which I think I had a slightly different reaction to. I liked this. Absolutely. And I understand what you were talking about. It's a fascinating conversation about avoiding responsibility and not taking responsibility for your actions. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's, that's a, that's a huge, like a conversation in this. But when this show opened, I had no sympathy for the guy. Really? None. Why? Because he comes on as sort of this dramatic. Uh, well, how would like, you feel if you just got cheated on? Is a kiss a cheat? Making out with someone? Of course it is. But the way they describe it, it might have been an innocent kiss. They or her? Her. Be- yeah. So <laughs> her description. You of know, it. if it's just a kiss coming from her, you know it. They basically like had kids or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> uh, it just, I... But even so, if you're in a relationship with someone, why would you kiss anybody else? Oh, That's not absolutely. Family. There's a transgression here. Something bad happened in this relationship. But I felt like the show starts and he is throwing in the towel rather than fighting for the relationship. He got cheated on. Why would he fight for it? Is kissing cheating? Yes. So, oh, I, so, I, <laughs> so, ladies, earlier I mentioned if you have issues <laughs> to email Russell. So now, if you want to date Russell and kiss other guys and have him be okay with it, wait, wait. Russell at myhauntlife.com. Wait, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay, wait a second. Um, I'm just saying that I thought there was room for more conversation than this guy was willing to have. And he jumped into a medical procedure to have his broken heart fixed. But that's coming from you, the person that tries to fix everything. That's not real world people. Okay, that, that's, that's fair. That's Russell. I'll take that. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but I, I did react that way. of like, oh my God, why isn't like, he's throwing in the towel so fast. But then when you get into the situation and the doctor sort of explains what has happened and he starts dealing with the ramifications of what happened. And then you do, by the end of the show, you do really realize that I don't think her heart was in it. Right. You know, and, and it's, it's, I don't want to say how you make that realization and what is revealed, but I think he made the right decision. Oh, Totally. And as painful as it is, as awkward as it is, 
you know, and I, I am the, all about feelings. I am all about... No. <laughs> I know that's shocking to you, Mike, but um, by the end of this show, I really thought that so, so many interesting conversations. The conversation that she has with her boss in the coffee place where she works, holy crap, that conversation was so... Like, you felt for that guy just as her boss of what he has to put up with from her and the situation that he's in with her. Yeah, but he made the situation. Yes. <laughs> so that's but, on him. Like as uh, you don't mess around, you, you don't make out with a girl who has a boyfriend. That's right. That's your employee. That's right. <laughs> so, but the fact that she is in the middle of all of this, trying to like keep all these plates spinning and the fact that she doesn't understand why her boyfriend would do what he did i found that fascinating mm -hmm. because of all the people in the show i think the person who's avoiding the most is her mm -hmm. it's like sure he's the one who had a heart medical procedure to get his heart his broken heart fixed and she gave him guilt trips for it yeah which are just didn't you want to just like typical? Oh, <laughs> in my head, I was like, "How dare you!" <laughs> like you do not go there. Um, yeah, it just uh, yeah, she's the one that was really not taking full responsibility for her actions. I think the two guys, to some degree, are willing to. I mean, the boss and the fact that he's making the business decisions that he's making shows that he's willing to take responsibility for some of his own actions. It just I find this I found this fascinating. And by the way, it is a comedy with some really good laughs. Oh yeah. <laughs> the parental stuff and the doctor stuff of how they relate to the the guy who has the operation, like all of that rings so funny. And the patient that keeps coming back? Yes. yes. So good. <laughs> so who delivers like one of the funniest lines in the entire show? <laughs> I ran. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. It's like you have to see the show to understand the context, but like he delivers like one single line that brought the house down. It was very, very well done. All the, the cast was strong in this. I really thought this was an interesting play. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Glad you recommended it. Good. I'm glad. So then after that, yep. We went back to see So You Want to Be a Vampire. Right. And we were promised we would get wetter. And we did. Yes. they. Uh, we had talked about this uh, from a preview performance. And they had had some technical problems with... Uh, there is a spider zone for this show, we should mention. Uh, because So You Want to Be a Vampire features a couple of moments when vampires have to do vampire-like things. And there's blood. And they cover the first two rows in plastic. And you are warned that if blood flies, you might get some on you. And uh, at the preview performance that we saw, they were having some problems with the blood flying. But they have definitely fixed that. Yeah. And blood this, flu. And this is what's so great about Fringe. And, um, you know, whenever you go to Fringe shows, they'll ask you if to write a review. Mm -hmm. And this, this is a perfect show on why that's so important. Um, because many people had said in reviews, oh, like, I couldn't see this one scene that was off to the side. Based on all of that feedback and all of those reviews, they moved that to the front of the stage. Right. And so everyone can see it. And it, it's so important for, for things like this. So if you have an opinion, make sure you put it out there. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the Fringe site runs on reviews. The feedback for the shows, because Fringe has so many experimental pieces, this being one of them mm-hmm. this year, definitely. Um, the reviews mean something. The reviews give them feedback, which they can learn and grow from. Right. So, and this is a show which I'm glad we uh, got a chance to see it a second time because we knew that there had been problems with our first performance of it. Like, they definitely made changes which improved the show. Mm-hmm. And all of the scene transitions, et cetera, had improved. Like, this this was definitely a show that got better as Fringe went along, for sure. Yeah. I hope they, they keep doing this This somewhere. is really fun. The, the, the interaction between the two leads is so much fun. And all of the supporting characters are a blast to watch. There's so much going on with all the supporting cast of this. That is really, really humorous. Yeah. I, I mean, I said it before, like this could be a, 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 like a m- monthly or weekly thing where you spray everybody with blood. <laughs> so their blood could be redder, though. It was like it was like like it wasn't fresh oxygenated blood. It was it wasn't. Oh, my that. God. It was a <laughs> blood that had been around for a while. I'm just saying they're vampires. Blood doesn't flow. I'm just kidding. Never mind. They're not vampires. (laughs) So maybe, allegedly, they may or may not be vampires. And then you had a pretty busy Saturday. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Unfortunately, I got caught in the massive parade and protest and everything else that was in Hollywood um, this past weekend. And I was in traffic for literally an hour extra trying to get to the Fringe Festival. Um, but I saw something which you had recommended to me, An Evening with John Wilkes Booth. Ooh, I'm excited to hear about this. This was so good. Yes. Okay, good. I'm this, not... was, uh, this was fascinating. It was really interesting to hear this. It's a monologue that traces the history of John Wilkes Booth and his, to some degree, his family, because uh, John Wilkes Booth, the assassin of President Abraham Lincoln, uh, came from an, a performing family many of his relatives were making their living on the stage he was an actor so to hear him recite the history of how he wound up performing the deed that he performed which no is known to history as this dastardly cowardly deed to have him explain the backstory of how he arrived at that moment in his life is utterly fascinating mm-hmm. and I had mentioned to you, I've actually seen another production of a different show that also looks at this from the point of view of the brother. And so I was familiar with a little bit of this territory, but this, seeing this monologue, uh, this, this was just so fascinating in the fact that he relates it to his career and his love of country. And he explains how all of his theater buddies and his stagehand friends could or could not make various plans to either kidnap the president or harm the president. They kept falling through. And that was part of what I found fascinating about this show, Mike, Mm -hmm. was the fact that the the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln wasn't a one-shot deal. They had been trying to do other things. And it was supposed to be a kidnapping at first. Exactly. So to hear all of that was absolutely fascinating and, and worth seeing. John Wilkes Booth is portrayed by Steven Spiegel, and the way he is portraying John Wilkes Booth as this passionate man who just chose to do something out of passion for his country and love for his country, it is fascinating to watch this tale unfold. And he's so good. Oh, he's absolutely riveting to watch. 
this I thoroughly enjoyed this, and it's it's very funny because as I was leaving the theater, um, I overheard a woman uh, telling somebody who was in the hallway, "It's like this rocked me. This rocked me so hard. This play has to come back. I don't know how, but I want this play to come back." Like she, she literally just walked out of the theater, and that she was saying that to people in the hallway as she was leaving. That's awesome. So yeah, it has that effect on you. It really does. A very, very strong performance. This is a piece that that uh, I would love to see again, just because of the performance of the lead actor. Yeah, I'm so glad you recommended this to me because I had to choose between a couple of different things to fit this in, and I, I definitely made the right choice as far as I'm concerned. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad I have my opinion means something. Like I'm not. Like I'm not. Like, no, I mean, like, because I'm looking at Mike shocked. Yes, your opinion. No, I mean, (laughs) because you you liked everything I suggested. Yeah. And so I'm just I'm glad that I have like at least some good taste in for what you like, where I can say like, dude, you would like this. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's the little things in life. (laughs) You are worthy, sir. (laughs) That's me trying to offer like validation. What am I doing? Like, I'm trying to fix something that isn't broken. (laughs) Like, now Russell. you have me paranoid about fixing things. Hey, ladies. <laughs> Russell at myhauntlife.com. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> um, okay. A- after that, moving on, where do, where do we go? Uh, you went somewhere. I didn't have any friend shows on Saturday, so this is all you. The next show that I went and saw, Mike, was one of those shows that standing out on the hot sidewalk in the afternoon (laughs) or in the early evening, waiting for your next fringe show to start. You compare notes with other people. You hear other people talking about shows. One that I'd heard about the performance was a show called My Janice, An Intimate Portrait. And this stars an actress named Ariana Veronesi. And this is a short show. This is under 30 minutes, Mike. And it is about Janis Joplin, and but it's very specific. It is about the period of time when Janis Joplin had had some drug problems and she had gone back to Texas to clean herself up, try to work on music, and try to work on herself. And this very short play is about the conversation she has on the phone with the manager named Chet, who calls her and says that he wants her to perform with Big Brother and the Holding Company. So it's the dilemma of she's working on her life, she's getting clean, she is a massive talent that needs to be heard. And there is someone in the music industry who knows this, and she has to make the decision of, can she go back to San Francisco and face her demons? Oh, wow. And the conversation on the phone that she has is raw. I mean, it is, she flat out says, you know me, you saw how bad I was. You know, I'm not ready for this and I can't handle it. And, you know, hindsight works in our favor in this situation because you know that she reached a tragic ending. So you know that this decision, which you know what the decision is already, she goes So knowing all of this and seeing this conversation and you knowing the future and where she ends up, this is painful. And the performance was so wonderfully just sublime in gentle and nuanced and 
you know, you, you think Janis Joplin and I think you, you, you in your head picture hard rocker or hard blues musician, hard blues singer. This was the gentle side of that. Okay. And it's, that's what the show was. You know, there's some, there's some other moments that you get glimpses of, but that's the key section of this play is that phone conversation. And when she hangs up and she does a transformation where she tries on an image, she tries to picture herself in front of a stage and she tries to picture herself performing. And you know that it is the birth of something that could have been amazing and gone on for decades because that's what the talent was. And you know that it's going to be cut short. So this whole thing has a tragic vibe to it that is so, so wonderfully touching. Like this was really, really strong. And again, where, where are you going to see a you know twenty to thirty minute play about Janis Joplin? Yeah, because like this is one of those fringe moments for me. Like, wow, this was so cool, and I wouldn't see this anywhere else. So yeah, this this was. I'm so glad I managed to catch this, and the reason I did was because it fit into my time schedule. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was just one of those like you know what I've heard about this. I've heard it's a really good performance. I can I can put it in between these two other shows. I went, and I'm really glad I took the risk. Good. This was a really really enjoyable short play so that is fringe 2017 like we're done yes yeah outside of uh extensions of course um but that list hasn't been announced yet but you know i was making like a little know how you make your haunt quote list (laughs) yes i made it's only four things but like i made a fringe takeaways list like things i've noticed at fringe so here are my things fringe loves vampires this year Yes. People don't like sitting in the front row at all. <laughs> that I that is so funny. It we've seen it at literally every show. We always sit in the front row. Mm-hmm. And I it's funny because you see the different personalities and attitudes of, you know, people that have done immersive theater and or haunts. It's like they have no fear, like right to the front, whereas mm-hmm. everyone else is like I'm going to sit back and but that was one of one of them. Um Fringe also loves historical informational type plays. You know, like you just mentioned John Wilkes Booth. We had Normal. Um, the Girl Who Jumped from the Hollywood yeah, Sign. Bonnie and Clyde. You know, and those are the things that I'm starting to really love. Yeah, because and, uh, the show I just mentioned, My Janice, would fit into that yeah, category. Yeah, because, you know, when you're in school, most people don't care about history. I never did. So learning about cool, specific, not popular, like for teaching type things, like... No teacher is going to teach you the life of John Wilkes Booth mm-hmm. or about, you know, like maybe Bonnie and Clyde because there's such a, like a cult status there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know. I love that, that approach. And I love learning things about like, about stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then there's still a ton of confusion of what immersive is. Yes. <laughs> there certainly is. So not trying to put you on the spot, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do you have any takeaways? Uh, I hadn't thought about this. I agree with what you've said. Um, I also will, the takeaway that Fringe is an excellent place to see magic. Yes. And I hope even more magic comes in the future because the venues are so small and intimate that it becomes a very different thing than watching a magician in an auditorium or even a slightly larger venue than the fringe venues. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a place to experiment. 
And there's been so many shows that I've seen that are interesting experiments on technique. I want to point to Blamed as one of those. Like, wow, what a wonderful, wonderful show. Yeah. Toys. I had no idea what I was expecting when I walked in, but what Toys was was devastating, but I sure as heck didn't see it coming. Yeah. Experimental musicals, like new musicals, Buffy Kills Edward, Comic-Con the Musical, Robot Monster the Musical. Slashed. Harmony Boys. Yeah. Like all of these wonderful new musicals that, you know, I think after everyone that we've talked about, we said we hope this finds a home elsewhere. Yeah. It's a great place to experiment with musicals and also short dramas. You know, look at Apathy Kill the Cat. Uh, the short comedies like Bloody Awful. Um, I, 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 the, I, the ta- I keep listening and, and going on, but the takeaway for me there is experimental stuff. The tickets are affordable. Mm-hmm. So you as a patron can see multiple things. And look, there are a couple of things I walked away from. They're like, meh, it was all right. Still glad I saw it and it didn't cost me an arm and a leg. Yeah. So that is an advantage to Fringe. That That's kind of, I think my big takeaway is, look, somebody's putting this marvelous playground out there and saying, come play. It's affordable. There's lots of different stuff to try out. So that's that's my takeaway is just the wonderful thing that Fringe is and allowing you to see so many different types of shows. And yeah, they love vampires this year. <laughs> um, so even though we were done with Fringe, we still had more things to do. Yes. Uh, you did something for a second time as a surprise. And I did something <laughs> for my first time, which I have heard nothing but good things about. And I'm so excited to have finally done it. Santu Deliria at Zombie Joe's. Right, which was um, kind of hailed as a somewhat extreme haunt. Mm-hmm. What did you think? You know, it's funny because this had everything that made me fall in love with extreme haunts in the first place. You know, like there's definite extreme moments in it, but it they never went into the we're going to hurt you just to hurt you. Um, there was no torture that you know some other haunts do now and it's just it was just it was like it was a nice change to like it was almost like going back to the roots of what extreme haunts were to at least in my mind even though it was only like five years ago but i don't know i i really enjoyed it yeah i i really enjoyed it as well for some of the same reasons um there was no pointless humiliation yeah which is a thing that i absolutely hate that haunts seem to go to because it's very easy um you're right there was no there was physical aggression in the way you were handled but i never felt out of control or unsafe Mm -hmm. i i likened this uh, um i think i said to you that this was like a really really strong cover band Mm -hmm. that like this is a really strong performance everything in this show sort of reminded me of something else Mm -hmm. but a really good cover band is really good Mm-hmm. It's really enjoyable. And and I, I've talked to some people who felt that some of the scenes inside this, and I, I don't know if the show is going to return or come back, so I don't want to get too spoilery or specific. Uh, it's a one-on-one experience. And some of the scenes, I've talked to a few people, and they feel that it is derivative of other haunts that they have been through. The, the final emotional sequence of this show Mike, I, I think you'll have to agree with me that it is derivative of another show that we did a couple of years ago. Yeah, we've we've seen it. But the thing is with this one, because of 
the person, it could be a total stranger and someone you have no emotional connection to. Whereas in the show you're talking about, you had moments with her before, which made you made it that much harder. Right. You you have to reach a decision of how you're going to treat someone. And what I said to when I in the conversation I was having about Santu Deliria with someone, I said, here's the difference. You reach that final sequence from a very different emotional standpoint than you did in The Haunt two years ago that did something very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing. Yes, some of this was derivative. Story-wise, did you get a strong story arc through this show? Yeah. You did. Mm-hmm. It was very hit and miss for me. Okay. But when I walked away from it, I filled in some blanks, which I think happens with other haunts as well. I created my own story. I don't know if it's the story they intended for me to get, but you know, there's two really heavy dramatic scenes in the middle of this thing. Um, one of them is with an actress that is extremely intense and... I found myself you're in a you're in a small space with an actress who is asking you questions and and expecting answers from you and Mike I I don't know how did you, how physically what did you do during that scene um I stood there what, what do you did I was all over that room Oh really? Oh man. <laughs> Like from your own or from being moved? No, not from being moved. Okay. Like I was reacting to when she would get closer, I would back away. She cornered me a couple of times and I kind of slipped away from her. And like, because she was making me so uncomfortable with what she was saying and demanding from me that the, like you said, I've actually ended up for various reasons doing this show twice. And the first time I was a little more physically in one place, but the second time in particular, it really hit me harder. And I, I was all over the map in that room. I was, (laughs) I was, yeah, it was like, I was so trying to get away from her. And, um, you know, at the, when that scene ended, uh, I, I think it gave the actress really stuff to work with because she knew that how uncomfortable I was. Mm -hmm. And she let me know how she felt about, me not coming to terms with what she was asking. Yeah. The only, I like this overall, this show is great. Like I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you have a haunt in June. So yeah, which is which, lovely. How amazing is that? The only thing I had an issue with and in, was when the actors were talking to you in the beginning, sometimes it was tough to hear because the music was so loud. Yes. I agree with you on that. So I think, you know, where you said you were filling in story points, like it could have been because of missed dialogue, because they were speaking too softly or you couldn't hear, you know, think something like that. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. It's like I, I at one point there was an awkward pause and I I looked back later and went, did they ask me something? And I literally didn't understand that somebody had asked me something because there was this awkward pause. So I, I agree with you. I think the music was too loud. and I did have some problems hearing the cast at times, which might have been deliberate. I don't know. But it felt more like a hiccup than it was intended. And so here's something funny. You know how we, we've spoken about this in the past, like when like immersive theater or haunt tells me to do something, I do it and right. don't stop. Right. Um, so when you're told to and they say keep because obviously you know what happens at that point, even when that ended, I kept to the point where we met the girl you just described. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cuz I never know. <laughs> like come on man, like I 
look what happens in blackout if you if you don't follow the rules (laughs) and i never wanted that to happen in any other like situation so i always do it wow so yeah (laughs) (laughs) you must have looked foolish (laughs) oh besides everything else that was happening yeah that's the least of my worries so um yeah i i really want to you know give credit to this as like i this is something this is obviously a first show from from whoever these creators are they're remaining a little mysterious i thoroughly enjoyed this i thought that it was all handled very well i loved the intensity of it 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 was just the right mixture of physical aggression and certain haunt elements that were intimidating claustrophobic all of the things that i like being challenged with and it was it was like you know, it's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. This was just right for me. Wow. <laughs> well, that's cool. <laughs> and there was our first Goldilocks and Three Bears reference ever on this podcast. So, so yeah, I I really, really want to see what comes next from these people. Yeah. And I want to point out something that's very, very important that we always talk about. And I want to give a huge congratulations and thank you to everybody that went to the show because it's been going on for about four weeks now. Mm-hmm. I saw it on what was supposed to be the last night. I, they extended it a week, I believe. Um, and the respect that people have had for this show about spoilers has or, been incredible. I agree. Like, this is the first show in a really long time that I've gone to where I knew nothing. Mm-hmm. And everyone I know has done it. And... I've been getting texts all month saying, asking me, have you seen Santu yet? Have you seen it? Oh my God. Okay. Uh, okay. Tell me when you have, you know, because they want to talk about it, but no one has said anything and it's like, it's amazing. I I agree with you. Um, I, the same thing happened to me, even though I saw it, you know, what, two weeks before you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I have been wanting to talk to you about it. (laughs) So, I agree, which is a wonderful thing that the that so many people have respected it and not spoiled anything and not posted spoilers online that I've seen. I I knew that I know that there was a review on some website. I deliberately didn't read the review. Yeah, and the the fact that even in casual conversation, people never did the oh hey, what about this part in Santu? Like you know, <laughs> not asking first. Like everybody asked first. Yes, and it, it 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 like I hope this is a new trend that continues. I hope so too. And one more thing, I know there was there was a, a cool thing in there for me that was like a little bit special. So thank you to the creators for letting. And Mike, I I happen to know what that is, and and I agree. And that's all we're going to say about that. <laughs> all right, and you did something else too. Yeah, you mo- are. Moments how ago. Are, how are you alive right now? I like I Mike. You know, uh, there is one immersive thing coming up that uh, I am looking forward to more than anything for the last four weeks. Uh, it's a solo experience. This is going to be a bad joke. I, I can already tell. Have faith. <laughs> a solo experience where I'm going to go in by myself and experience something which I've been looking forward to for a very long time. It's me in my bed sleeping. I knew it was going there. (laughs) Well, I don't know. After this episode gets released, you may have a few emails, so maybe you won't have to be alone. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, I went to uh, a live meditation, I guess would be the way to describe it, for the Order of Beleth. As opposed to... 
a dead meditation? <laughs> so there were no dead people at this meditation. That is correct. Um, yes. Recently, uh, I had gotten an email saying that there's going to be a live uh, meeting of some kind. And I was curious because you had done your meeting about the Order of Abeleth where you had gotten some history uh, on on Beleth and that there are people trying to bring her back to our world. And the Order of Beleth is a sort of ARG experience, which has been ongoing, which is supposedly leading to a live show at some point. We don't know much more than that. Uh, so this morning I drove down to Cerritos to a park where I was told to bring an offering of some kind um, for Beleth. Carl, who, Mike, you and I often run into at uh, Haunts and Immersive Theater stuff, uh, he was there, and we met with Roy, who, in the story of Beleth Roy, there's some controversy over Roy's past, I guess. Some people feel that he may have been brainwashed at some point. Uh, he seemed fine. He wanted to introduce us to Beleth and see if we could form some sort of connection with this meditation. So he took our offering. Um, I don't want to go into details of exactly what happened, but we did meditate together. And at the end of the meditation, we did receive something which may have been a sign that we successfully connected with someone on a different plane. Interesting. So being that this is a pop-up and I don't know if it's going to pop up again for other people, I don't want to get too specific. Um, I, I will say that I... I don't know. I, I I hope my offering is understood because I didn't ask for an explanation and <laughs> it's it was a rather odd offering, I felt. Is so, it what we talked about? So, um, no, it's not. Oh. <laughs> so I went back to... Um, wow, I don't know how to describe this. Uh, I went back to something involved in uh, carny lore and... Um, traveling vendors and things like that. And I made an offering based on something that they use in the, in their trade. So I, I hope that it gets understood if, if they don't understand what it is. Um, but yeah, it was a really interesting. And again, I think I got the same thing you did in the fact that I just got a glimpse into this world. And th this is obviously world building. I thought it was very nice that I was given an audio file that was obviously created partially just for me as an intro. Oh, wow. So, I mean, my name is in it and, you know, it, it is, I was given very specific instructions of this is why we're giving this to you. And then, you know, then there are something plays that you're supposed to pay attention to and follow the instructions there. So, and then the, if you continue listening to that audio file, it sort of sets up the meditation that you go to the park. So, um, part of what I heard in the park is a reflection of what was in that audio file. So I thought that tied in really, really nicely. Awesome. Yeah, it was well done. It really was. Uh, here's the thing. I, I don't know what it's leading to. So in the matter of world building, I'm curious that that's all I can say, I guess from, from this is just, I'm, I, they've piqued my curiosity a little bit more. Yeah. Good. If you would like to learn more information about the order of Beleth, you can check them out on the web at orderofbeleth.com, and you can also find them there on Instagram and Twitter, Order of Beleth, and you can find them on Facebook at Accept Beleth's Love. 
If you do search for that, that should lead you. May her light shine on you. So that's the official end of everything that we've done. I think so. And while we were doing these things, three new things started. Yes. And it's mind-blowing. And I never thought we would ever be at the point where we'd have to, like, pick and choose almost, you know? Like, there's so much variety now. It's incredible. And we do have to pick and choose. But the three new things that have started uh, for while we were doing Fringe was uh, the Boanthropic and the Society. You can find them on Facebook at The Society Now. And there's also a Facebook group, and we'll put the link in the show notes, um, where people are discussing theories and clues they found and everything like that. They also have an Instagram, The Boanthropic. Uh, That one seems very heavy puzzle-oriented, isn't it? I don't know. I've I've looked at it really quickly, but I've... I haven't yeah, had the time of, to sit down with it. Uh, same here. Because of Fringe, I haven't had time to look at these. Another one is called In Another Room. And this one looks pretty interesting to me. Um, yes, Because this agree. is, uh, there's an Instagram account and that's all I could find. And the Instagram is uh, In Another Room. But it's all case files. And it looks almost like it could be like a true crime sort of thing or something about murder. And, Which is one of the reasons I'm interested in yeah, it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then lastly... The Midnight Commission. Um, you can find them on Facebook at Midnight Commission and on Instagram, The Midnight Commission. And this is another one where it's just like, I need to sit down and Nobody look knows and what read. These are, yeah. And on top of all that, we got mail. Yes, we did. And the newest box of Dread came in, and this was a fun one. I, I was very happy about one thing in particular. <laughs> Which was? Uh, well, you open it in the first thing, uh, and they packed it very well because they actually turned it backwards so you couldn't see what it was when you opened the box. It is a uh, Funko Pop figure, and it is Shaun of the Dead, and I got Ed. Yeah, yeah, I did too. And it's the Entertainment Earth exclusive where he's wearing the I Got Wood shirt. Yes. Which so, is rad. That's awesome. So it's going to be added to my office collection, my, my quickly growing wow. office collection. How many do you have now? I don't know. It's it's funny because I work with people who have literally hundreds of Funko figures and, and numerous other types of figures. So I'm I'm only at like I think ten or twelve, <laughs> but it's very funny because they're all horror oriented. Of course. So working with children's material and then everyone walks into my room and it's all horror figures. <laughs> and you're still employed. Yes, I am. <laughs> So, but also there's other stuff in here, Mike. Yeah, there's a a poster for the Howling Board Game, which I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah, and at the bottom of this poster, it says thehowlingboardgame.com and the poster, Mike. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Yeah, it looks like the... Like the regular poster. Well, it, it's a variation of the poster, um, and it, it's um, it kind of features more of a face ripping through fabric. You see the hand tearing through, like like the original art. But uh, there's more of a face present in the in the background, so th- it's really really cool. That is incredibly nice. And now I want to know what the Howling yeah. Board Game is, and have my haunt life game night. That would be cool. So and there's more stuff, Mike. Yep. Uh, there was a DVD in here called The Dark Tapes. Um, I haven't heard of this one, but it seems pretty interesting. It looks like it got a ton of awards. Yeah, it seems, uh, it says over 60 awards and nominations, which I have, I I assume this probably played the festival circuit fairly heavily then. And one of the things I'm excited about is this quote from Rue Morgue, the best practical effects monster of the year. So that means the, whatever the monster is, it's not digital. 
Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. And what it says on the back, a horrifying blend of terror and mayhem, which takes you on a twisted journey into the world of paranormal activity, demonic possession, and the supernatural. Perfect. And we got one more thing. Uh, I, 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 I'll let you take this one since you nerded out about it. (laughs) I only nerded out a little bit. So at the bottom of the box, there was a postcard. And on the front of it is sort of a demented skull slash rabbit hybrid and the name rabbit in red. And it's a signed postcard for the horror book of the year author, Joe. And I hope I pronounce this right. Chinahas. That's a K. Chianakas, I would say. Chino- oh, okay. All right. Never mind. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> it's late. The name of this is Rabbit in Red. And on the back, the description is... Wait, this- wait, 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 wait. You don't just gloss over that. Because as soon as you saw that name, this huge, not a light bulb, but a pumpkin lit up over your head. Yes. And I'm surprised you didn't know why at first tell us well that is because rabbit in red is when in john carpenter's halloween when don donald pleasance finds the body by the railroad track early on in the movie the rabbit in red is the matchbox uh the the uh, the um of uh, the matches cover that he finds so that's a clue as to the the path that michael myers is traveling so that's and it was just rabbit in red so i immediately thought wait isn't that the barf that from he finds the matches from in halloween and yes it is and on the back of this the description is this month's box of dread includes a free digital download of rabbit in red voted best horror book of 2016 and there's also a bonus a digital download of something called nightmares under the moonlight which is a collection of short horror so this is really cool. Yeah, and we have his autograph. Yeah, the, uh, that's, I'm I'm looking forward to learning more about this. Yeah, yeah. So just definitely. I mean, the, oh come on. I mean, the Ed figure alone. <laughs> so I'm, I'm playing with it right now, actually. The Ed figure. Yes, the Ed figure. <laughs> <laughs> just making sure. So, yeah, and the shovel and the, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's an. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> getting distracted so but dude this how the howling poster is so damn cool yeah all right so yeah box of dread yeah it was a good month this month definitely um for more information on box of dread you can find them on the web at boxofdread.com and on facebook twitter and instagram at box of dread so that's it i'm exhausted i am too (laughs) um if you would like to reach out to one of us especially russell uh broken ladies stop that stop um, it you can find us at russell at myhauntlife.com or mike at myhauntlife.com. You can find us on the web at myhauntlife.com. And you can find us on all the social media things at myhauntlife. You can also leave us a message or shoot us a text on the haunt line at 515-HAUNT-LA. And again, all this info will be in the show notes with links and all that fun stuff. So with that being said, I'm Mike. And I am Russell. See ya. Can I go to bed now? Wait for the emails.